Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. day, multiple times a day where it was, you know, numbness followed by like an intense migraine and pain on my temple. And, you know, this was kind of the height of the pandemic. I had moved back home with my partner and my parents. They were in their 60s and had some underlying health stuff that I was, you know, I was nervous to go to a hospital and come back and bring them something, you know, if I didn't need to. The episodes kept getting worse, like my my hand would seize up, I started dropping things, I couldn't hold things, like my hand was in a claw, and I was freaking out, and he started like pushing it out and massaging it out to like flatten the hand again. So anyways, I was terrified, I knew something was definitely wrong, more than complex migraines, and had actually booked a flight to go back to New York to just see somebody and said, okay, you you have complex migraines and you have carpal tunnel. That's why you're having trouble with your left hand. Because I was having trouble using my left hand. I was having trouble typing and um, working at the computer. But but I was at this desk job that I I had never sat at a computer. And so I, you know, was on board with that at first. Like, yeah, my body's not used to this. I'm hunched over. I'm usually way more active. Like, that's probably what's going on. I remember being very, very clear in my mind, but I couldn't get any words out and my, my tongue wouldn't work. And I was trying to speak and it, I mean, after a couple minutes, it came back like no one, we went on with the meeting and no one was worried about me, probably less than that, like 30 seconds. And so it, it was fine, we continued on. It wasn't until like after midnight, I get a phone call from my primary care doctor telling me to go to the ER immediately. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear. Welcome to the fourth season of Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. Fibromuscular dysplasia, sometimes known as FMD, is a condition that causes irregularities in the size of certain arteries in your body. If the arteries affected are near the brain, it can lead to TIAs or even full-blown strokes. In this episode, we hear from Jenna Hames, originally from Colorado, who suffered her first stroke at the age of 29. I was living in New York City, kind of hustling, but also I'm a performer, actor, singer, dancer, worked off-Broadway and regionally. I was slated to do my next show when the pandemic took that out, like it did for everyone in our industry. So I started working for a nonprofit that supports first responders during the pandemic. They had a basically COVID relief fund that they needed help distributing. So I took that on during the pandemic and was sitting at a desk for the first time in my life, really. The first time I had a stroke symptom, it wasn't a stroke. It could have been a TIA because I went to the ER and they did multiple scans and just on my brain. I know now that if they had also scanned my neck, they might have found something. So basically, the left side of my body started going numb, my, my mouth, my tongue, 
the tongue thing, I guess, can be more of a migraine symptom is what a doctor has told me. I left that night with a diagnosis of complex migraines. And then I didn't have any issues. I I had to kind of start talking to more people about this weird thing happened to me. I'm apparently it's complex migraine thing and realized it really was a thing that more people than I realized had experienced. And then it wasn't until let's see, that was in 2019. So it was about a year later in 2020, I was working from home and started experiencing these kind of episodes every day, multiple times a day where it was, you know, numbness followed by like an intense migraine and pain on my temple. And, you know, this was kind of the height of the pandemic. I had moved back home with my partner and my parents. They were in their 60s and had some underlying health stuff that I was, you know, I was nervous to go to a hospital and come back and bring them something, you know, if I didn't need to. My insurance is wasn't was in New York City where I was still technically living. So it was really difficult to like get in to see a neurologist or anything like that. The episodes kept getting worse. Like my my hand would seize up. I started dropping things. I couldn't hold things. Like my hand was in a claw and I was freaking out. And he started like pushing it out and massaging it out till I could flatten the hand again. So anyways, I was terrified. I knew something was definitely wrong, more than complex migraines, and had actually booked a flight to go back to New York to just see somebody. And my friend, who was a naturopathic doctor, had recommended a a chiropractor to me who was an expert in migraines. And so I started seeing him, and he helped me a ton. I also know now that That could have been very, very dangerous. But luckily, he was really, really skilled and knew what he was doing and didn't do any harm, really only helped me. Yeah, I started feeling way better. I I don't, I don't even know how, but I guess just all my blood vessels like getting perfectly aligned with my spine being perfectly aligned, like, not that it was ever perfect, but it was helping me. I was going back to New York to move down to Atlanta for kind of the rest of the pandemic. And I saw a neuro while I was up there and he diagnosed me with complex migraines. Didn't see any like additional reason to do another scan because I wasn't having horrible symptoms at the time. And also did a test for carpal tunnel and said, okay, you, you have complex migraines and you have carpal tunnel. That's why you're having trouble with your left hand. Because I was having trouble using my left hand. I was having trouble typing and um, working at the computer. But, but I was at this desk job that I <laughs> I had never sat at a computer. And so I, you know, was on board with that at first. Like, yeah, I'm, my body's not used to this. I'm hunched over. I'm usually way more active. Like, that's probably what's going on. Over time, Jenna's symptoms continued to get worse. About five months later, I was working an event for this nonprofit and it was really hot. I'm looking back, I found, figured out it was like 98 degrees Fahrenheit. And my speech started to slur. Definitely felt those what I thought were migraine symptoms, some numbness, kind of my vision starting to blur. And again, somebody working the event came up to me and because I, I wasn't sure, I was like, is my speech slurring? So I, you know, I had asked people around me and they were like, yes, you're, you do not sound normal because I still had, you know, all of my thoughts. I was still coherent. And someone came up to me and said, oh, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but like that just happened to me. My speech kind of started to slur and then I threw up and you're, you're about to get heat sickness. So I started like slamming water. And then it happened a couple more times that day until finally we went home and I felt awful the rest of the day. I felt 
so ill, like just needed to to lay down and was still having recurring like tingling in my face and stuff. And then let's see, it wasn't until I got home and was like trying to set up a voice lesson with my teacher. And, you know, he's, he said, you, you look really out of it. This was like a couple days later, I had called out of work. To be honest, everyone had called out of work. Everyone was exhausted from being in the heat and this, working this very chaotic event. And I was trying to do this voice lesson and my my teacher, who, you know, I'm close to him, really, really cares about me, smart guy was listening to me. And, you know, he knew about the first round of numbness, of course. And he, he was like, okay, I think we shouldn't sing today. Because if half of your body's going numb, we don't know what's happening to your vocal cords. And I think you need to go to the doctor again. And then I opened up to him about the slurred speech. I was like kind of hiding that that last detail because I wanted to sing that day. (laughs) And I was like, he's obviously going to find that a little concerning. But I I wasn't thinking stroke. I wasn't thinking that that's what it could be. Yeah, he insisted I go see someone. And then I kind of woke up and was like, okay, yeah, something is wrong. I need to figure this out. So went to see a primary care doctor who ordered me a rush MRI. We got it in as, as quickly as possible without just like straight up going to the ER. It kind of takes a while. I had to wait the next day then to get the, M- the MRI. And then like at that point, I had had another stroke. And this one was kind of new symptom added on that my speech didn't slur. We were in a Zoom meeting and my partner was sitting right next to me and I stopped speaking. And he thought that I just like lost my train of thought or couldn't remember what I was trying to say. But I was very, I remember being very, very clear in my mind, but I couldn't get any words out and my, my tongue wouldn't work. And I was trying to speak. And it, I mean, after a couple minutes, it came back. Like no one, we went on with the meeting and no one was worried about me, probably less than that, like 30 seconds. And so it, it was fine. We continued on. It wasn't until like after midnight, I get a phone call from my primary care doctor telling me to go to the ER immediately and, you know, making sure I had somebody with me. She told me that the scans showed significant evidence of stroke and that there was a large clot in my carotid artery and that it's possible I was either having or about to have a very large stroke, which was very confusing. I'm like, well, wouldn't, wouldn't I know if it was happening? But anyways, I was terrified by that. We rushed down to the hospital and very lucky for us, lived 30 minutes from one of the best stroke centers in the country, which is pretty crazy considering <laughs> how much I had moved around that I landed right there. My doctor had called ahead, so they got me in quickly. Coming up on Stroke Stories, Jenna on how the stroke has impacted the pace of her life. I used to try to just go nonstop and cram a hundred things into a day and simply can't do that anymore. My body will shut down. And I think that's actually a blessing that I'm being forced to slow down and just be more aware of what my body can handle. And the importance of being there for stroke survivors. Even if what this person might be going through feels scary or unknown, just, just reach out. And I think sometimes what can I do is a hard question to answer. I think when something like this has happened to you, you feel helpless and you don't really know what to ask for. So just being there, just checking in, saying hello. Let's hear how doctors discovered what had caused Gemma's stroke. 
they could see kind of this big, what they thought was a clot in my carotid artery. They thought, okay, this is a dissection. So like a, a cut basically in the artery because I'm also a personal trainer. I'm very active and lifting and things like that. They thought, you know, some people who, who have certain conditions in their arteries, that happens, they, they can tear. They could see it wasn't because it wasn't improving. After I got on blood thinners, it wasn't healing. And then they looked into FMD, which required lots of scans all over the body. And then they decided I didn't have that. One doctor diagnosed it as atypical FMD. That's just saying it's the closest thing we could call it is that, but it's really just an atypical web that you possibly were born with or might have developed during puberty that you know, eventually was going to cause issues. Um, and it just didn't cause any issues until I was 29. And so, so that web that is just part of my tissue started causing clots. They, they found that it was blocking 65 to 70% in some areas of the artery. So if that had been like a cholesterol web or something like that, I would have needed, they said, an emergency stent procedure but because it was part of my own material, they kind of left it up to me. They said I could stay on, you know, these heavy blood thinners the rest of my life, or we can do a stent procedure. So I thought about it for a while and, you know, weighed my options and I'm, I'm young and I still want to have kids in my future and decided the stent would be the best option for me to just kind of get back to a more normal life and not have to worry about this thing in my neck that could possibly be causing more issues. So we did that. And that actually very strangely led to getting a staph infection. So was actually hospitalized for a couple of weeks. And that was actually ended up being more life threatening, which is very, very strange. It got infected where they put in a little plug. And I had had just an angiogram before basically the same thing in terms of like invasive going in like a few weeks before and, you know, no problems. But this time when they put the plug in, it got infected. You know, I was sent home from the hospital. I was inpatient, but I was sent home with no no real issues until a couple days later. And they ended up needing to do a reconstructive surgery on my femoral artery because there was only 33% of the artery, artery was, was left. My ankle went septic. Amazingly, the stent was fine. If the infection had gone up closer to my head, it, it could have been so much worse. I had to have an at-home nurse. I had to have a pick line, so like a kind of per- more permanent IV in my arm and have six weeks of at-home antibiotics three times a day through that. And then I'm realizing, okay, oh yeah, I also had a stroke. I needed like getting back to like what now, where was I with that recovery? Like my mind and my energy and my function is still not quite what it was, but it's just all very disorienting to kind of go back to that recovery and remember, oh yeah, this is part of it as well. After a difficult six months, Jenna is now making good progress in her stroke recovery. Now I'm, I'd say I'm doing much better. I'm getting back to my normal fitness stuff. Um, I decided to start my own business and teaching classes and personal training and helping people recover. So that's really what I want to do with with my fitness stuff is that, you know, everyone's gone through something hard, even if they maybe broke their ankle when they were 12, like that sometimes can still affect them years later and affect their ability to, to get to the fitness level they want to get to. And I think that with everything that I've been through, and of 
quite frankly, I'm still on my own recovery journey, but I really want to help other people to get to where they want to go. And I think that's also, that's part of my own recovery is getting to the point where I can not be so inward focused. I would say my energy levels aren't what they used to. I think this is really a huge lesson for me that I used to try to just go nonstop and cram a hundred things into a day and simply can't do that anymore. My body will shut down. And I think that's actually a blessing that I'm being forced to slow down and just be more aware of what my body can handle. As far as like physical abilities, like I wasn't left, thank God, with any huge physical issues. I'm in vestibular therapy, which I had never heard of, but it is to help me with my dizziness. All of my brain damage is in the right side. None none is in the cerebellum, I believe, which is where that would usually cause like off balance and dizziness. So the reason for the dizziness is a little bit unclear. The doctors say that it's basically at this point, if it's lasted this long, it's kind of a trauma response. So we kind of have to retrain my body to be able to move quickly in space, change my head in different directions and not get off balance or scared, basically, I think is what's happened to put it simply. That's the thing that's going to bring me to the next level because I'm a professional dancer and I would like to get back to that, but I, I haven't. So as soon as I can, you know, turn around quickly without getting dizzy, I should be able to start taking class again. And Jenna believes it's okay not to rush. Go slow and be patient with yourself in that it's okay to go slow and it's okay that your schedule is not going to jump back to how it was for at least a long time, <laughs> at least a long time. Um, but keep going. For family members or friends, it's so tricky. And I think having something like this happen really does put in perspective who matters and who's going to be there for you and reach out. Like even if what this person might be going through feels scary or unknown, just just reach out. And I think sometimes what can I do is a hard question to answer. I think when something like this has happened to you, you feel helpless and you don't really know what to ask for. So just being there, just checking in, saying hello, and maybe if you can, if you have the ability to like send food or or anything like that, just being there and getting your own support. If you are close to this person, like my fiance, he just started therapy as well for mental health because this has been a long journey for him. And I think we're, we're just now starting to realize how much it's weighed on him as well. Jenna continues to focus on her recovery and is sharing her progress on her Instagram page. Thank you for supporting us at Stroke Stories. Please do comment and rate on the episodes you hear. And do introduce stroke stories to your friends to help us spread the word. And if you are or you know of a stroke survivor and there's a story you can share, please do contact via our DMs on Twitter or Instagram. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ 
the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. 